0: Welcome to episode 20 of Civil War Breakfast Club. I am your co-host, Mary, also known as Lucretia Polk for this episode, and I am joined by the most awesome Civil War geek I know and awesome podcast co-host, Darren
1: Weeks. Wow, if you're talking about me. I was gonna say who else is here. <laughs> Holy well, well welcome. We're at
0: episode twenty. So uh... We are.
1: We are in the post Christmas episode yeah. of, of the Silver Breakfast Club episode twenty. Holy crap, man. Twenty episodes. Yeah. We say this every single time, and every gets higher and higher and higher. So twenty is a good one. Twenty is, is a good good step and having a lot of fun. It's been a great ride mm-hmm. you know, with everything we're doing. So yeah, it's great to get back and talk about battles again and talk about some of the stuff that likes that makes us tick, as they say. And, yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and so visiting some of these lesser known battles as we're going to be doing today. And your name kind of, well, my name gives away what we're going to be talking about, but so does yours especially. Don't hazen me, Murphy's Bro.
1: That's right. Don't haze <laughs> me, Murphy's Bro. <laughs> as we are going to be talking about Stones River or the second Murphy's Bro, if you are from parts unknown of the South, you can call it that if you like. But basically, or, we're going
0: to. Oh, as you say, or as one of our Twitter followers said, Stones Freeboro.
1: Stones free bow, bro, God, I got talk today to But no, we're going to talk about the Battle of Stones River, okay, which is a really good one in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Very similar to the Battle of Franklin, Mary, reminds me of. Mm-hmm. Is it's one of those battles that has substantial importance, both political and militarily, yep. that no one seems to study or talk about. Right? You know, it's the latest possible calendar battle you could have, December 31st, 1862. It spills yep. over for a couple of days into the new year. It's got a lot of you know colorful characters in it but it's got a lot of substantial impact when you're talking about things like Chattanooga and especially Nashville.
0: The what-ifs behind this battle are something that are very, very interesting. The other thing is too, and I know we will definitely bring this up, is why this battle might not be as well known as what it should be. That definitely factors into it sort of just the whole perception of how the Civil War is seen. It's kind of like Jaws. It's like when you yell what was it barracuda the people say huh what and when you yell shark we got a panic on our hands this is like when you say stones river people are kind of like what but if you say gettysburg people know what you're talking about you're looking at me
1: like you don't know that movie (laughs) i i I was thinking maybe you banged your head or something you were talking about barracudas you know, I think I, heard a, no, that, think I heard a I think I heard like, a niner in there. Oh God, that quote from Jaws. You yes, know. yes, for God's sake. <laughs> but but just so you know, Mary, I don't think that people like the whole what if thing I'm the serious people don't like that. But no, I guess I love the I, whole what if thing. I know, but but this one actually applies. I it think does. this is one, you know, like Antietam or some of these other ones. This is one that you you can play what if because as we get towards the end of this battle, you'll find out that things could have gone the other way and it would have had substantial impact on how the battle in the West and how the West was won, as mm-hmm. the phrase that just invented right there. Yep. And, and you can understand how the impact of how the generals played itself out when you're going from Bragg eventually to Johnston to eventually to, to Hood and how it goes. The linchpin really is Stone's River, when you really think about it. it is. And it's one of those battles. And as you look into some of these casualty numbers we get to, and how much you'd like to talk about those, this is one that there are more casualties in this Battle of Stone's River than in Tidam, Mary, yep. Second Manassas, mm-hmm. so many of those battles. You know, over 30% casualties combined, the highest of any battle in the Civil War for, for fighting casualties. This is not some little bump in the road type. This, is, this isn't a skirmish. This is a pretty important battle
0: it is yeah and it's just it seems so it's kind of one of the more obscure ones the one thing i came away from it was wanting to definitely learn more about rosecrans this is not the rosecrans we're going to see at chickamauga that's for sure this is a completely different old rosie i guess as he was called
1: he's an interesting dude rosecrans i mean oh, you know he what? Is. i mean he's we'll talk about him on the political side of him yeah and he was kind of somebody who was a very popular guy going through yep. that he basically was kind of put in the corner as you like to say <laughs> Mary, right? So, Put in the corner you know, by Grant. He's certainly Rosecrans, the guy who, you know, he's from Ohio. So, mm-hmm. okay, well, there you go with that. <laughs> West Point class of 1842. He was a former inventor, Mary. His face was burnt. I'm sure mm-hmm. you know this in 1859 by an oil lamp. So he kind of gave him that permanent little grin he had like the Joker. He always had that grin, right? Yep. You know, he was somebody who upset his family when he converted to Catholicism. He was family of Protestants. Mm-hmm. He pissed them all off with that. But he's a guy militarily who was who very interesting. And we'll talk more going through this. But he was very, very popular. And he Lincoln was. loved him. A lot of guys, he had those wins at the Battle of Iuka and the Battle of Corinth, yep. right? We talk about Grant as we talk about Chattanooga. It seemed that the more these guys won... The more jealous he got, right? Yeah. So Grant, you know, he had an issue with the yuca with that whole situation with him being drunk and Mm -hmm. going to that Cincinnati newspaper. Yeah. But Grant hated Rosecrans, and Rosecrans, frankly, hated Grant. They just didn't like each other, you know. He
0: did. Before we go any further, though, we forgot to talk about our beverages.
1: Oh, that's right. Speaking of, I was going Grant. Speaking of drinking. What, what? That's called a Segway, Mary. What are you drinking tonight? I'm drinking Surround Sound Lotus
0: by Collective Arts Brewery, and I'm drinking it out of my General George Henry Thomas mug because General Thomas is at this battle. that we're talking about tonight.
1: Okay. I'm drinking Skyward Huckabee by Devil's Purse here on the Cape. That's a, better than a good Devil's Purse. Drink out of my North Civil War Champions mug. So speaking of that, because they won the battle, don't want to jump ahead. Devil's Purse, Mary, can't beat that. Nope. Cannot beat that at all. So real quick about Rosecrans, right? Grant and him... This didn't get along. They just didn't. Grant obviously had issues with him because of his popularity. The other issue to Stanton hated him. Then again, Stanton freaking hated everybody. Stanton right? hates everybody. Then everybody hates Stanton. It's kinda of like that show yep. everybody hates Raymond, or whatever that show is, right? <laughs> <laughs> is that what it was? Everybody <laughs> loves Raymond. Oh no. Well, all right. Well, I guess that's we'll <laughs> everybody it.
0: hates Rosecrans.
1: You go and just edit that one right out there. Right? <laughs> but 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 you know, Rosecrans was a Democrat in a sea of Republicans. Yeah. We talked about this a little earlier today, Mary. It was yep. A lot of these guys, when it came down to who was going to get the glory, these Republican people knew that whoever came out of this war. Was going to have the inside track to probably running for mm-hmm. president, and eventually it would be Grant. So a guy like Rosecrans, who was a Democrat, he was somebody who he wasn't part of the Republican-controlled government that they all seemed to have, and it seemed like they did whatever they could to knock him down. Now he's going to fuck up throughout this. There's no, we're not going to sit here and tell you Rosecrans is the greatest thing since canned no. beer here either. But he's somebody who definitely was undermined, as a lot of the Democratic generals were. And so as we talk about this battle, you got to go back into the mindset of what was going on at the time, not just in the West, but this is where the those other battles are spilling into and the national mood and the morale of the north it seems like whenever we do this we're talking about the low morale of the north but yes. that's how it was though exactly it was and,
0: and the other thing too it's like rosecrans is one of these guys that he falls into the same thing that kind of howard does too where he's when you think of rosecrans you think chickamauga
1: howard oh howard
0: i've got my reference in for this episode
1: <laughs> thinking sure about how
0: to do that all fucking day and i did it <laughs>
1: Okay, well, if you had four minutes, you had you. <laughs> yeah. uh,
0: he's one that if you look at his earlier career, he does have a lot of success. And as you said, Darren, he's basically undermined because he's a Democrat and Grant doesn't like him. And Grant is the ultimate mm-hmm. victor in the Civil War. So in a way, Grant gets to write the history of it. He
1: does. And we'll talk about that towards the end, how this whole thing goes. But just check out what's what's going on in the North as we get into late 1862, mm-hmm. right? They're coming off of defeats at Holly Springs and the, the fiasco with General Sherman at Chickasaw, yeah. right? Over fog. the Vicksburg era. Not to mention, Fra- uh, Fredericksburg had just taken yep. place about three weeks before mm-hmm. that. So things are low. Lincoln really needs, we said this before all the time, Lincoln needs a win, right? Kind of like Antietam, but he needs a win because he knows that Emancipation Proclamation is about to kick in in January. So he, the only victory he has is kind of that, is that small battle down there in Prairie Grove in Arkansas. And that ain't going to cut it. So he needs something. So what is he going to do? He's, he's going to put all his hopes in that 14th Corps that's currently operating in Tennessee. He's going to hope for the best with that. They're coming off Battle of Perryville, which was theoretically was a Union victory. Mm-hmm. It was a situation where you, it was kind of like a Mexican standoff, where you've got Don Carlos Buell, who was shockingly slow, Mary. And he was going up against Bragg, and they just seem to be staring at each other. You guys just seem to stare at each other all the time. That's all you do. And so what happens is Lincoln's finally going to get fed up, and he's going to basically say, I need a guy. I need an aggressive guy, so I'm going to go ahead, and I'm going to bring in Rosecrans. Rosecrans is going to come in, but he's going to give him the directive, I'm going to put you in position Mm -hmm. in command. But you better go get go get Bragg now. Because if you don't, I'm going to pull your ass out too. So you better do it.
0: As you said, it is called the 14th Corps. In some sources, though, you'll see it called the Army of the Cumberland. Yep. As you said, Rosecrans is going to come in. And Lincoln is basically like, you need to get your fucking ass in gear and get yep. after Bragg. And as for Bragg, after Perryville he has evacuated the dance floor from Kentucky because he's decided that it is not feasible for him to keep his army there because he can't feed them as it is. They're on very low rations. So he decides mm-hmm. that he's got to get them into Tennessee. And his plan is to get him, get them to Murfreesboro, which is basically uh-huh. agriculture heartland of that area, but he's got to get them over the, what is it? The Cumberland mountains.
1: He uh, didn't do that, but it's all, there's also yeah. political reason. Murfreesboro is the hotbed of pro secession. Exactly. Um, right. So the place he picked in Murfreesboro was not a good place for battle. It's flat land with, very few undulations, Married has got a few, okay, got that in there. It's got some rock outcroppings, got that river, but it's a bounty. I mean, it's a place he could feed his army. And he, Bragg didn't think he was going to get chased. He thought he was going to be able to camp there for the winter, and he was going to yeah. be able to restock, and that's kind of how it was. But speaking of Bragg, just to introduce him again, we've talked about him in some detail, but he's a North Carolina guy, West Point, class of 1837. Mm-hmm. You know, he married into a rich North Carolina family. He was a sugarcane planter there for a while, and very pro-secessionalist. We mentioned, Look, like we mentioned earlier, He's somebody who had a lot of medical issues. He, he suffered from rheumatism, whatever yeah. that is. He had bad migraines with like somebody I know. Mm. Um, he had some hemorrhoid issues. So we yeah. got a case of the case of the savannas. <laughs> but because of that, he was sensitive to people, these soldiers in the hospitals, but it also made him kind of crotchety. Yeah. Um, he was grumpy. He was,
0: was, you know, just, he was a you
1: know, disciplinary I had, guy. I had
0: like migraines and the other shit he suffered from. I, I might be a little bit grumpy too.
1: Yeah, no, you probably would. You'd I probably mean, I already that. have to deal with you, right? So. No, that's true. There's <laughs> a, that, that, a, a pain in the ass right there. So militarily, you know, he was you know, he was a very uncreative tactician. He was a guy who just liked to do frontal assaults all the time. He wasn't a big flanking type guy. So you you know he lost a lot of guys. But you know what though about him, Mare? He never bitched. He never complained. He never no. whined. And that's probably why Davis liked him so much. He would do as he was told and never questioned it. Now, when we talk more about some of these subordinates he had, apparently all they did was bitch and complain. That's, he was that's guy, all they did, right? like Polk so, and Kirby Smith. You know, we'll talk about those guys. He had a lousy situation with, with that. So we'll talk about those guys. But we'll just, just to show the, the players on the dance floor here real quick. So you mentioned before the, the 14th Corps or the Army of the Cumberland, as they have been recently christened by you a few minutes ago. <laughs> so we'll, we'll talk about who they are. There's a lot of familiar names with this too. So very similar to Fredericksburg, the corps were split up basically into wings. Okay, the left, the center, and the right. The left wing is by a guy named Major General Thomas Crittenden. We'll be a lot of fun with him. He's a Kentucky-born guy. His he's brother, drunk. he's a he's a drunk, he, you know, Okay, his brother George was a Confederate general. Mary, hard-drinking guy, and just like somebody I know, he gets drunk and likes to sing. Apparently,
0: he does. So, and one time he got drunk with his men, and he sang, "Mary had a little lamb."
1: He did, and it made him a hero. He would go on to become governor of Kentucky down the road. His son, John, actually died with Custer, a little bighorn, which really? is kind of, a, kind of a too bad situation, but oh. that was the case. So that's the left wing. On the right wing, he's got you know, Alexander McCook, who is an interesting cat in his own right. Mm, so the Fighting McCooks of Ohio. The Fighting McCooks, one of the four Union generals fighting from Ohio to West your Point, class of 52 from West Point. veteran of the Indian Wars. He actually taught military tactics at West Point, and he fought at Shiloh and places like that. But you know what, though? He was not a very respected guy. One of the guys we'll hear about later on, Brigadier uh, General Samuel Beatty, called him, I quote, a chucklehead, which is Mm -hmm. a great insult to call somebody in the 1800s. That sounds like a normal one now. Sherman called him juvenile. His soldiers referred to him as gut because of his belly. Okay, I've heard that before. That's rude. (laughs) I mean, that was they called Gut, but you know, he was also another drinker and he liked to, he swore a lot, told great stories. So, hey, yep. fun at parties. You know, oh, yeah, he sounded like he would have been fun at
0: parties because drinking, know. swearing.
1: But speaking of no fun, Mary, we got to talk about the guy who ran the center, General which was George all Henry business. Thomas. George Henry Thomas, G H T. So, we've talked a lot about him. So, Virginian. His family hated the fact that he sided with the Union from Virginia. His sister declared, said he, she was, he was
0: dead to her. His portrait that was on the wall, yeah. they turned it around on the wall. Mm-hmm. So then when people came over, they would be like, oh, who's that? And they were like, that's
1: my a-hole brother who's fighting for the Union. <laughs> I mean, it just, that's how it was. But <laughs> <laughs> he was the most trusted subordinate of Rosecrans. So they got along really, really well. Mm-hmm. There's that story. I mean, this is a brave dude. He got shot in the face with the arrow in Texas with the Indian Wars. and pulled, yeah, him and he out pulled it and out and kept, kept fighting. Going. They kept um, going. I mean Yeah, yeah it's that he was a guy who Lincoln almost chose to command this army in the 14th Corps He uh, did. Before, and but he ultimately settled on Rosecrans but Rosecrans at the time was a was a rising star but Thomas yep. liked him. He didn't feel slighted. He didn't feel, it was this wasn't like a Hooker Burnside situation. Exactly.
0: It's a testament to I think how their friendship was and it's very similar to that of Grant and Sherman where Sherman technically could have been in charge over Grant, but he didn't want it. When you're looking at somebody like Rose Kranz and Thomas, you're looking at a friendship that was a lot like the Grant Sherman friendship that you see uh-huh later on in the world and is very famous. The way these two work together at this battle is very similar to that. And I think it's it's one of these friendships that doesn't get looked at too often. But I was thinking about that too when he's passed over for command and he just kind of, he accepts it because they're friends and he respects them.
1: And that friendship will come out later on as this yep. battle goes, but it's pretty rare. Because we, we talked before about the rivalries and the, the little petty shit that goes on in mm-hmm. these battles. And, and these guys seem to, to flip that. But as we flip the coin, Mary, on the other side, it's a little different story as we talk about these Confederate guys, okay? Yeah. So we talked about Bragg. Okay. And we mentioned before how all his problems are behind him. His core guys, he's going to have Leonidas Polk. We've talked about him before. And he was, going back to the whole thing again, he was a pain in the ass to Braxton Bragg, Mary. Mm-hmm. Okay. He was. And I don't mean the hemorrhoids. I mean, he just was a guy who made his life difficult. The fighting um, bishop. Yep. He was a West Point guy. He would later go to the Virginia Theolo- Theological talk today, uh, Seminary. He moved to Tennessee, where he became one of the biggest slave-owning people in the state, very pro-secession, pro, uh, pro-slavery. Help create the University of the South. I believe was in Suwannee, I think that yep, is, is down there. Yep. To educate the elite of the South, so they wouldn't have to go to schools in the North. But he was someone who was very much close with Davis. Again, but he's a guy who just didn't get along with Bragg. They just didn't get along. This is the guy who invaded Kentucky in 1861, and as a border state, and he almost flipped that against the Confederacy. It wasn't that great at Shiloh or Perryville. But he was the one who helped organize. We'll talk about this in a second. That anti-Bragg cabal. I guess. You yeah, want to call
0: yeah, it between that. him and Kirby Smith. They- they were the two instigators right. behind it
1: and this is very similar to what we talked about with chattanooga mm-hmm. where here we are again they're getting together behind bragg's back to get him bumped and replaced with joe johnson the other core is william Hardy, georgian from the class of 1838 from west point graduated 26th in his class out of 45 so he's right in the middle pretty much not nothing great another favorite of jeff davis he did write that book about a tactic. He basically stole a book from France and Ray yeah. made his own. He just translated um, it. Yeah, it was called Hardy's Tactics, which is the best known drilling book probably mm-hmm. in the entire city. And that's actually one of the things that Pettigrew noticed about the cavalry at Gettysburg was how they would drill it was from that book. So he bought the book. He didn't just write him there. He wrote him, he read him too. But he was, you know, he was friendly with this anti-brag group, but he wasn't part of it. He was just kind mm-hmm. of like that kid in high school with like didn't want to piss anybody off, so we stayed in the middle, kind of like a you know Switzerland situation. Kind of like how I was. Oh yeah, inside that locker. <laughs> yeah, but you know, but he was also you know he was kind of a guy. He liked to dress well. He liked to drink the wine. Like to socialize. So a lot of the generals looked at him as kind of like that pretty boy type thing. Yeah, which he, is funny
0: you know, because his best friend and Simmons mentions this in the Claiborne biography. You could not have asked for two polar opposites to be best friends, Hardy, and Claiborne because. Hardy is a bit of a like a playboy, and Claiborne is like, he's super shy around women to the point where he doesn't go to John Hunt Morgan's wedding, which is happens during Murfreesboro, where he's
1: like, no, 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 I'm just going to stay back. Well, not a bad time to talk about the old confederate wedding there before we get the battle started here. Oh, yeah. So old uh, John Hunt Morgan, who also spent some time uh, in Ohio, unfortunately for him, he got himself married that, that, that weekend. Yeah. What, well, it's time to be alive for, for John, Matt, John Hunt Maddie Morgan. Matt, Maddie Reddy. Maddie Reddy. She was, she was <laughs> ready. was ready she was right but yeah interesting wedding party there they're they're about to fight a battle they didn't know the battle was coming yeah but you've got the groomsmen would be um
0: braxton bragg Hardy, and breckenridge poked at the ceremony and i think the only reason claiborne was not standing up with them is claiborne was back he was near franklin that night and he was just like no 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 i'm gonna stay back i'm not gonna go
1: Well, duck weddings we don't want to go to. I I, I can't imagine how that was. But But just talking about the whole battle, we talked a little bit before. This is post-October 62. This is post-Perryville. Braxton Bragg is thinking he's going to go down to Murfreesboro and he's going to chill. He's going to fill up his coffers. He's going to live off the land. He's going to winter on the Stones River. And he's basically going to just kind of hang out there and just didn't think he was going to be attacked. Obviously, he didn't realize that Rosecrans was going to be put in power with the directive to go get that ass as soon as possible. As we go on with this stuff, we can we can kind of as we get into December understand, but that area around Stones River and Murfreesboro, it's like we said, it's not a great position, but it's a very politically important part of Tennessee. You cannot lose that part of Tennessee to the Union. It is very pro-slavery, very pro-secession, and it's one that, although it was not the best place to fight a battle. It was one that they really had to have, especially with that connection back to Nashville.
0: Exactly. One thing I want to mention too, before you go any further, is just about who is fi- also who's fighting on the Confederates in the, in the cavalry, is led by by Joe Wheeler. With him is a guy named Abraham Buford. Mm-hmm. And this is the cousin of General John Buford. I found that very
1: interesting. Bushrod so, so Johnson is here too. Bushrod is in the house. So must he's, with, be to...
0: he's in Clayburn's
1: division. Yeah. But old, uh, the old War Child rides again. This time yep. he's got old Buford's on there with him. So yep. that's pretty cool. Um, there's a lot of people, you know, obviously on the Union side, you have David Stanley, who was riding with him, was the great Robert Minty, Mary, who was with him. Yes. As well as uh, Louis Zam. So they had a pretty good cavalry as well. While Bragg is in is Murfreesboro, and while Rosecrans is moving down through Tennessee to come get him, he is going to have Wheeler try to pick at him and just kind of just destroy, disturb the supply lines and, and just try to make life difficult for them in case they come down uh, although bragg does get surprised when he realizes that he's coming because he doesn't think he's coming
0: yeah no he doesn't he thinks he's home free for the winter and all that and while he's there there's a lot of shit going on behind the scenes so you have like kirby smith and Polk separately going to richmond and bitching about Bragg and saying, you need to remove him from command. Bragg actually goes to Richmond to meet with Davis and Davis is like, no, 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 dude, I got your back. I'm going to keep you in charge. Meanwhile, you have Polk saying, put Joseph E. Johnston in charge. What Davis does is he keeps Bragg in charge, but he sends Johnston, once he's recovered from his wounds, he sends Joseph E. Johnston out to look after kind of the Mississippi area. And all Johnston yeah. is going to be doing is just basically... If troops need to be shuffled from one place to the other, he's gonna be doing that. And there actually ends up being some troops taken from Braxton Bragg when he's visited on December the 16th by, by Jefferson Davis. It's decided at this time that he's going to take seven thousand five hundred men from him, so he's going to lose Carter L. Stevenson's division, and he's going to go help out at what is beginning to be the Vicksburg campaign. That's a big—I
1: mean, that's a big loss because Stevenson, we saw at Chattanooga, he was a hard fighting guy in Lookout Mountain. Bragg was pissed, you know, he was pissed off. I mean, Davis also promoted John Hunt Morgan. Maybe it was a wedding gift, who knows? But he got promoted during that same um, same visit. And he smooths off all that bullshit political stuff against Bragg. Understanding the concept, so it, it it clearly goes to show that Davis probably had no intention of, of thinking that there was going to be any sort of offensive from Rosecrans or Buell, because they didn't know who was in charge at that point. To take 7,500, 8,000 guys from that army and really weaken them, I mean, that's one of those what-ifs we were going to talk about earlier, right? Mm-hmm. About, especially we'll see later in this battle as we get into January, they really missed those guys at that point. They really did.
0: Yeah. And they're not really like compared to the union, like Rosecrans is bringing about, what is it? Like 40,000 guys. Cause he's left half of his force back at Nashville and kind of dispersed all over the place just in case something happens. Mm-hmm. Braxton Bragg is going to go into this battle with 35,000 guys. So there's a little bit of an outnumbering there, but Rosecrans Rose didn't bring his entire force, which he could have. He could have brought more men.
1: Mm-hmm. You know. So we had some we before Lincoln. He was He's pissed off at Buell for not doing anything. So he does put Rosecrans in, in charge with the assumption you're going to attack quick. Rosecrans does sit on his ass, Mary, after Christmas. He doesn't mm-hmm. move, even after Lincoln tells him to. Till the 26th of December, which is a couple of days ago, if correctly. Mm-hmm. So he's going to march his entire three wings, the right, the center, and the left, down to Murfreesboro, Tennessee. As we mentioned before, Wheeler is going to kind of pick at them a little bit. And when Rosecrans finally does arrive, he does write piecemeal. He's going to set up north of the town. Bragg is going to find out he's there because these guys are in camps, not in some defensive position. So as we lead into the end of 1862, there's going to be a battle. And a battle that the Union knew was coming, the Confederates didn't mm-hmm. think was coming. But this time the Confederates get to play defense on their own soil again. But again, they're in a bad defensive position. They're not in a situation where it's a place that's easy to defend, Mm -hmm. and that's gonna show.
0: The two armies are basically just 700 yards from each other by the time they get set up on December the 30th.
1: Well, that's not not much space at all. No,
0: there's not. Like they're it's to the point where They can hear each other's bands playing music. And this is what happens on the night of December the 30th. There's music played on both sides. So the North starts off by playing Yankee Doodle and Hail Columbia. And the South responds by playing Dixie. But then what they do at the end of the night is the North starts playing Home Sweet Home. And the South starts playing along with them.
1: The Molly Cruz song? Yeah, totally. Cool. Awesome. I love that band. But you know, I was reading the diaries. Rumor has it, Mary, that the last song they sang was Call Me Maybe. Really? That's what I heard. That's what I heard. That's what, after the drinks were kicking in, I started singing that song. So Didn't Crittenden get up and start that one? He, he might have. He might have, you know. you know, Mary had a little beer. <laughs> but but again, we're getting, we're getting to the, the end of December. And... They're basically in a situation where they're both, they're both poised to attack. And so Rosecrans says, okay, on the morning of the 31st, we're going to attack the Confederate right. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be his plan. Bragg says, on the 31st, I'm going to attack the Union right. So they, they pulled the twinsy situation. Bragg is going to plan to attack right First Daylight. Rosecrans is going to attack after breakfast. So you know right after you can kind of see where this is going.
0: And the thing is, is like, they're not like the union is, you know, they're, they're preparing for this where they're preparing for what the plan is, is that Rosecrans has, but one of Phil Sheridan's brigade commanders, Joshua Sill, he is, he's out patrolling and he talks to his pickets and his pickets are saying there's a bunch of Confederates and they're massing over there. They're going to attack us in the morning. So Mm -hmm. Sill goes back to Sheridan and he says, you know dude we got a fucking problem so they go and they talk to a cook and the cook is basically like fuck off go back to bed there's nothing there kind of like Sherman at Shiloh when he tells that dude, take your damned
1: regiment back to Ohio. There are some good comparisons between Shiloh and Donaldson at this battle, right? There is. Especially with yep. the, the morning stuff and the breakfast stuff. And I always think of that Antietam guy with those dudes in the first Texas that he didn't get a chance to eat breakfast too. But, yep. but what Rosecrans wants to do is he, speaking of Crittenden, he wants to send Crittenden who was on the Union far left. He wants to yep. send him across the river, the Stones River, which people think Mary is named after because there's stones in it. But it's actually named after a guy named Uriah Stone, a navigator mm-hmm. who helped navigate the area. That's so there you go. So there's your there's your trivia, right? But he sends Crittenden across the river and he's gonna help, he wants him anyway, to help secure the heights and basically get on the Confederate right and basically flank them and be able mm-hmm. to turn that right. That's what that's okay, that's that's what the plan is. McCook is gonna be basically on the other side of the army. And he's going to basically basically have an idea, Bragg, is how many guys the Union have. Mm-hmm. So Bragg wants him to think that most of the army is on the southern part of the battlefield. So he lights a bunch of campfires, a whole bunch, to make it look like there are more guys there. And they're all just empty fires, okay? That, that, that bear would not have liked that situation about the campfire, but, but that's another story, you know? What's going to happen is Bragg is going to have a similar plan where he's going to basically send his army across. And what he's going to do is he's going to send it first light, so before he's going to send Hardee, his second corps, with uh, John Wharton's cavalry, around the Union right, but he's going to get there earlier. And that's that's really where the battle starts.
0: That's where Sheridan, you know, McCook says to him, there's no fucking guys there. Don't worry about it. We'll deal with it in the morning. Sheridan ends up going and readying his 5,000-man division. And mm-hmm. it's a good thing he did because, like, spoiler alert, Sheridan is definitely the Union MVP in this
1: battle. Yeah. Well, Hardy basically is going to take John Warden's cavalry. He's, he's going to want to drive deep into the Union rear. And what he's going to do is he's going to take John McNown, who we call him today, yeah, McClown today, uh, correctly. His division of around 10,000 guys, and they're all going to attack at one time, all going to attack at once. The Union's still at breakfast. They're still in line for the you Egg know, McMuffin over at the, yeah. uh, the Murfreesboro-Burton you know, McDonald's. They're going to be caught by surprise. They're going to get their line pushed back about three miles on the railroad. Crittenden's attack on the on the other side basically starts and fails. Once it gets going, Rosecrans is going to see his line, McCook getting pushed in. So yeah, McCook say, comes this. to him and says, you got to send me fucking troops because it's fucked. Yeah, so he calls off that. McCook's line's falling apart. But then yeah, this is where, your point, this is where Sheridan gets in right Mm -hmm. And, and Sheridan really you know he he gets a lot of credit for Cedar Creek Mary this is probably where he does his best job I think compared to Cedar Creek
0: I think this is definitely where Sheridan shines and he you know he sees smoke the night before that could become a fire and I think he helps to kind of put that fire out a little bit by what he does like McCook is basically telling him like there's nothing to worry about and Sheridan's like fuck that noise I'm gonna worry about it and Sheridan that day he's riding up and down the lines of his men and he eventually has to do that because all three of his brigade commanders get killed.
1: He has, he's got, including his buddy Joshua so. Yeah. Yeah, right? he gets he's, killed he's pretty early him. in the battle. He's going to lose Fred Schaefer and George Roberts. He's going to lose all three of them. Yeah. And, and... We'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk about that jump ahead when he does that. But his division is going to get whacked. He's going to basically be like the whipping boy, the, 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 the speed bump. But it's going it's to ultimately save him. But mm-hmm. Phil Sheridan, basically, unlike the others, he gets up early and he prepares. So while these other guys are still basically having breakfast and still in camp, he has his guys up before 5 o'clock in the morning, really, really early. So they get up, they do their yoga, have their coffee, then they get ready for they get ready for their defense. So they're in position. So what happens is once these attacks start, he push, he pushes back uh, uh, Jonas Withers, and he basically is going to really help, after getting pushed back, help stem that tide. That second wave is going to come when Benjamin Cheatham is going to hit, and there's rumors he's drunk. There's always some, there's always a drunk guy. There's always somebody battle, drunk at right? this battle. But, but apparently Ben Cheatham, he was, he was slow and sluggish, and the word is he was drunk. Okay, fine. So Hey, it was New Year's Eve day, right? You never know. And he's in Polk's Corps. So basically, he you start to see this again. He's ordering these piecemeal attacks against Sheridan's front, right? So it kind of goes back to that whole mantra I mentioned earlier about Bragg with the frontal assault thing. So he's attacking the front and he's taking heavy, heavy losses. Sheridan is slowly giving up ground. But after basically, after he holds on for about three or four hours, Mara, he just keeps holding on. He does. Um, and he's basically going to lose a whole bunch of his guys, about a third of his guys, those three brigade guys we talked about. He's going to get pushed back to a place called the Slaughter Pen, which again is apparently in every battle. Yep. And it's a, a rocky hill with slight undulations. Um, or rolling hills. Rolling hills, either one. He's going to end up losing about 30 guns. He's going to lose about 3,000 guys. And he's going to lose those three brigade guys, those commanders, which is a big loss. I mean, yeah, just a gigantic loss.
0: It's a very chaotic battle just because of this way that they're, you know, just the fact that Bragg ends up Sending Hardy in earlier, and Rosecrans isn't expecting it. Because of that, it's an absolute massacre. But as I said, Sheridan is the MVP. Mm-hmm. You
1: know, good we, for him for getting up early. It was, and we talked before about like Fredericksburg, right? Mm-hmm. How Burnside never even went to the front, right? We talked about that. Exactly. Rosecrans does. Right? He
0: does. He's out riding around. He's taking on the role that a div- a corps or division commander would have, not the commander of a whole army. In that he's mm-hmm. outriding. Um, riding around he's shouting support to the troops and all that he's right there in the thick of it and he's showing a lot of leadership and you can see why his men he was so popular with them as he's out doing
1: he was, he's out riding around with his chief of staff, Julius garage. Oh God. And while, he's riding, story. While, while he's riding around a cannonball takes garage's head clean off right next to him. Yeah. There's Rosecrans with blood and brains all over him. And he's still charging out orders. Yeah. um, um Garage probably didn't make it. That's a situation where he's showing personal leadership in a situation. Yeah. So that mentioned before the popularity of Rosecrans. I mean, when you look at a guy like him, and this is a guy who did make mistakes, but mm-hmm. once you step away from that Rosecrans bad, you know, mantra that people see and you look into this, he does everything he's supposed to do, right? He does, he does he's everything a very, he's supposed to do.
0: He's very good here. He's he's out with them, you know, rallying them around. And the one the one thing he does that after he loses his well, the the guy whose head what's his name? Julius
1: you know, Garmash.
0: Garmash so he was a
1: garage
0: garage um, garage garage i'm not garage. (laughs) we're not going to get into teaching me how to pronounce (laughs) shit right on this show because it won't happen any anyway (laughs) did you just tell me to i said garage (laughs) okay anyway so the dude was um he went to west point with him And he was his friend. He's one of the reasons that Rosecrans converts to Catholicism. So they're obviously very close. But what Rosecrans does is that Rosecrans cuts all the buttons off of his own jacket and puts them in an envelope and carries them with him for the rest of his life.
1: He was a soldier, soldier, right? He really was. He was very affected by that death, even though he just kind of was whatever when it happened. But it did affect him a lot. I think you talk about the PTSD thing. Battles went on. These guys definitely lost their fastball, right? Think of a tire losing their tread. Mm -hmm. He gets through this, right? And then next thing you know, they're, get, they're getting through, Tullahoma's Tele, coming. Yeah, and then right? Chickamauga. And, right, and then Chickamauga. And you, and you see Longstreet coming right? towards you. And, and by then, and you know what, though? That's when he he lost Chickamauga, <laughs> he lost and, and that was it. And then you had Grant hovering over them, just waiting to kind of take over. Yep. I think, honestly, we'll talk more about these battles. I think Rosecrans did well, Mayor. He I don't, did. He does I really I mean, well here. He, it's, it's skewed a little bit because he fights Bragg a lot. A battle like this, Bragg didn't do badly.
0: No, he didn't. Right? The
1: thing is, is, like this
0: Rosecrans that I'm reading about in this battle is not the Rosecrans that sees that sea of blue coming towards him when the breakthrough happens at Chickamauga, followed by the sea of gray, and is like, mm-hmm. fuck that, and just retreats. But studying this also made me see the friendship between Rosecrans and Thomas, and now I get that when that happened at Chickamauga, that Thomas knew exactly what to do. And that's why, because of that friendship.
1: I think the battle fatigue and the stress and the pressure and everything, mm-hmm. I, I, mean, I, I mean, thank God. I mean, I can't imagine going, going through this where you're losing people. You, you watch your cheapest staff with his head blown clean off right mm-hmm. in front of you. That
0: same thing happened to Sherman at Battle Shiloh. He was out riding yeah, on in the they, morning. Yeah, they,
1: but they they sewed his head back on, though, because I saw he was sakes. there. Because he made that march later. So Now, I, I know. But I mean... But the point is, is how much can a person take? Exactly. How much watching people you're in charge of be killed en masse because of your decisions? Yes. of course. I mean, that's why there's a shelf life for these guys. That's why these guys don't last that long. Mm -hmm. But, you know, looking back at this whole thing again, basically Rosecrans is is in a situation. He's riding along, he sees garage, get his head cleaned out. Now this assault's going on. Sheridan is beating the Beating the pulp out of these Confederates too. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's getting pushed back, but he's defending. So, you know, Polk finally says, "You know something? This ain't going to be." So he finally tells Cheatham and Withers to just stop, just stop. Okay, Sheridan's going to fall back to organize. And this is this kind of mistake he makes though, is he falls back to catch his breath, and this is where Claiborne takes
0: advantage. Yeah, Claiborne here is he is absolutely relentless. Much as Sheridan is the MVP for this battle for the Union. Claiborne is the MVP for the Confederates for this battle. So you have both MVPs. They're going to go at each other in this battle. Nope. And his men, like Claiborne's men, are going over terrain that is very difficult. So there's limestone rocks. There's cedar trees. There's, like, things sticking out from the ground and all that. And they is can't there Are there get... uh, clowns? There might be. Well, there's McClown, <laughs> as we talked about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And Claiborne said like, this is this is earlier in the morning. So this is like mm-hmm. around, well, nine o'clock. Like Claiborne said afterwards that the fight was short and bloody lasting about 25 minutes when the enemy gave way. Yeah. And finally at nine o'clock, Claiborne's got to stop and reorganize. And then he's told by Hardy to push the enemy and don't give them time to rally. And this is when Claiborne almost makes it to the nashville turnpike
1: well if this was the mistake they made the flaw in the game plan yep. the pain of the ass with this whole thing right was one of the things that they were so focused on with having guys like wheeler the war child, right yeah is destroy the, the is the communications of supplies so if the union has to retreat they got to go to east tennessee and they're going to be cut off from the supplies and they're going to be cut off from nashville and they got them they're driving this army right towards the communication hub the National Railroad. Yeah, they are. And what that's, what that's doing is it's, it's allowing the union to basically have a small, tight defense around their target. So there's no way they're going to get away from there. So yeah. that instead of driving them away from the railroad, their target, what they're doing is they're driving them towards it. And, this, is the one, and this, isn't, this isn't just on Clayburn. This is because that's where Sheridan happened to fall back. Exactly. So what it does, it, it's, if you're trying to get someone away from the capture of the flag, you don't push them towards the flag. And that's what Bragg and what these Confederates did. Ultimately, it's going to be what their big failing is, their big mistake with this. But it was a a huge way this whole battle played out.
0: Well, But this was something, too, that it's like they almost had it. And it's very much like what happens to Meade at Fredericksburg. Like when he broke through Stonewall Jackson's lines and he doesn't have backup. This is what happens to Claiborne. And Claiborne said in his after battle report that he was almost on the Nashville Turnpike in the rear of the original center of Rosecrans's army sweeping with their fire the only line of communicate which was the only line of communication with nashville but it was not after three and my men had little or no rest the night before they had been fighting since dawn without relief food or water and that's when rosecrans brings in reserves and Claiborne's men just have to retreat because at some point and you see this happening at antietam and this is what mm-hmm. happens with Meade's men at fredericksburg you, do you can't know- do it
1: anymore do you know who the Confederates at that very moment you just talked about, Mary? Who they could use right there, Carter Stevenson. Yep. Right. That's why sending them to Vicksburg was the mistake. At that exactly. very moment, at the very moment, Ooh, exactly. At the very moment, Claiborne needed the most. He ran out of guys. They did. It's like it's like so many of these battles, they missed that one. They lacked that one division. It's like pickest Charge in the PPT. Right. They missed that one division that can put them over the top. So when Claiborne has that. Exploits that gap, and he's going to have to fall back because he's running out of steam. That's when he misses Stevenson, and that's on Jefferson Davis. Exactly, a, okay? exactly,
0: and that's exactly what like hardy says that in his after battle report. He says if at that moment a fresh division could have replaced Claiborne's exhausted troops and followed up that victory, the route of Rosecrans's army would have been complete. So I can't imagine like you're 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 that close. You're that close yes. to getting that road to Nashville. Mm-hmm.
1: The other mistake he did admit that Bragg made that I am gonna put on him though is he was afraid of Rosecrans attacking where Bragg was. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he kept Breckinridge on the other side of the river. And when he could in that attack was never gonna come, at least he didn't think it was gonna come, he could have used those troops and put them towards the, the primary part of the battle. So really you have two, really two gigantic forces that he held back. One that was not his own fault, but one was his but at the end of the day, you run out of numbers and you, you realize you have people on the dance floor that aren't dancing right (laughs) and some people are off the dance floor so that that that's the problem you know one of those bad songs that comes on and people don't dance that's that's what happens. so they could have used them down in that area so it limited the numbers the main attack that he could have used once clayburn explored that gap
0: they couldn't do it without you know they needed stevenson's troops but just like you said like breckenridge has been like waiting for an attack all day and by the time he's going to be sent in it's far too late like Claiborne's men are just told to hold the ground where they're at
1: Well, now Breckenridge will get involved a couple hours later, so around dinner time, by four or five o'clock or so on the the 31st. Breckenridge, we mentioned him a handful of times. He's a former vice president, Mary. He um, only joined the Confederacy when he found out Lincoln was going to arrest him. Yep. So that was a good reason to get the hell out of Dodge. He was going to be arrested for protesting the war, apparently. But he's an aggressive dude. He's, you know, he's a guy. You know, he finally is going to get redeployed from that Confederate right to the center. He's finally going to get it. To break through Rosecrans' line, but again, it's piecemeal. By then, the Union was basically entrenched. They were in that round forest area called the Hell's Half Acre. Yeah, was what they call it, so it sounds like a real fun place to go. But basically, this is where William Hazen's going to show up. Okay, and William Hazen, he's in Crittenden's um Crittenden's wing, so he's a hard fighting dude. He's going to basically push Breckeridge back. And because Breckeridge has those half-assed attacks, those piecemeal attacks, he's finally going to get reinforced by Polk, but he's going to get pushed back over and over and over and over and over again. So as the day ends on December 31st, the final day of a bloody 1862, the Union's going to find themselves basically bloodied and bruised, but they're still breathing. This is going to go into the nighttime. So this is going to end the first day's battle. It's Stone's River.
0: Irving Buck, who was Claiborne's aide de camp, he wrote that Claiborne's troops felt that they had won a victory, the fruits of which had been lost from no fault of theirs. So Claiborne does not. Nobody is blaming him on what happened at all, and that's evident in what Hardy writes. What's evident in what? What?
1: Irving. Just you, just you, and Claiborne. Hey.
0: Uh, <laughs> I'm just say just so you know, it wasn't
1: Claiborne's fault.
0: <laughs> No, I'm that's just ridiculous. saying it's they're they're running to his defense, and that's like I'm setting it up for later on what like in what happens with Braxton Bragg after this. Oh, rope a dope,
1: little rope a dope. But you're right though, you're right. He's but Claiborne. You know what though? He does a fantastic job. But again, he's somebody who, if he just had a little more support, if he had Stevenson with him, yep. or he had Breckinridge the beginning, he might have had it. But again, he goes yep. as far as he can. But kind of like Ambrose Wright at Gettysburg, kind of like you know. Me Fredericksburg. Battles, they just lack that one division. Yeah. To put them over the top. And that's what happens. So, that happens a lot day, in com- the Civil War, though. It, there's it, a, like, you're lacking that one division. Almost every battle, you're lacking the one division, and there's a slaughter pen. Yeah. Every battle. And, <laughs> and a sunken road. <laughs> and a sunken road, which is, which, is always, uh, which is always good, especially when you get the Devil's Purse going. But basically, Rosecrans, that night, he is going to uh, have a council of war, right? He's going to get his guys together, get the band together, and say, Dudes, what do you want to do? And this week, we got some pretty famous quotes that come out of this battle that you hear about later on. So yeah. he's going to get Thomas, the Rock of Plymouth, and he's going to get Crittenden together. He's going to say, "What, what do you want to do? What do you want to?" St-? And you know what's so funny though, is Meade gets criticized for this at Gettysburg, right? And every there's almost so many battles like Rosecrans has these councils of war, and you never hear it except for Meade. But that's another story. So there's, there's, there's yep. one for Gelzo for you right there. But he pulls them together and says, "Guys, what do you want to do? We're bruised, we're battered." Both Thomas and Crittenden want to stay and fight. Thomas has that great quote, I just know you're dying to say. This army does not (laughs) retreat. (laughs) Right, but then he goes, but there 's no better place to die yeah. so <laughs> talking about a passive aggressive comment right there <laughs> i 'm not so, making this decision fucker you 're the commander we, we are not retreating. but' die we're, we're, we're and so but, but they obviously decide not to give away the ending here, but obviously they decide to stay so bragg he 's sitting at his you know he 's hitting back in murphy 's bro and he 's thinking okay i 've got the where i 've got this one this this is where like this is very similar to guard it 's Shiloh, Mary where he's going to sit there and he's going to telegraph Jeff Davis and say, and I quote, the enemy has yielded his strong position and has fallen back. We occupy the whole field. God has granted us a happy new year. So he thinks this one, he thinks Rosecrans is about to evacuate the dance floor, Mary. He thinks that they're they're retreating. And he's getting some bad intel too, because Joseph Wheeler, who, if you remember the war child, is around the backside, as I'm pointing, so I don't know where I'm pointing. He's at the back but door, is he? He's, he's the back door, right? But he's he's the back door, exactly. He's going to take him from the rear. And he is basically going to... And he sees the wagons of the injured leaving. And he's going to mistake those wagons for troops retreating. So he's going to report to... He's going to report to Bragg that the Union's retreating. So so Bragg's on a full assumption that these guys are out, they're going back, and we've won. So he, when he telegraphs Davis... It, this isn't a going to take their shoes situation. This isn't a bravado thing. He really thinks it because the information he's getting. Um, so at the end of the day, December 31st, you have a situation where both generals are sitting in their camps thinking they've won the battle, which is rare, right? Mm-hmm. How often does that happen? But that's what, that's what they're both thinking. But they're going to be surprised on New Year's Day when, when they wake up yeah, the next but, day.
0: Well, when Bragg wakes up and he's like thinking they're gone, and then he sees this line of blue
1: and he's like, fuck. Uh he probably would be like fuck. fuck y'all you know so he he wakes up and he surprises he rolls credits obviously still there so this is when polk says dude we get the fuck out of this is this is bad form someone's got to say rabbit rabbit on the first of the month i think because yeah. they they they'll get some bad luck right at the beginning
0: and brag just they, is like fuck
1: off polk. we're not no leaving. he's like we're staying I'm, you know you know, I got these missed medical issues. I can't get up. So I'm staying right here. Or is Brett to basically... Well, first, before he does, Rose Kranz, he's going to renew that first day's assault. He's going to send a guy named Horatio Van Cleve, a great mm-hmm. Starbucks cup name, by the way, right there. That is. For, for just so just future reference. He's a guy in Crittenden's Army. Now, Cleave is not going to be there because Samuel Beatty of the Chucklehead fame is the one who's going to take over for this in this situation. So they're going to cross the river, and they're going to get up across. Bragg is going to see it, and he's going to send Breckenridge to basically go take care of Samuel Beatty. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. So Breckenridge knows this is a bad idea. This is a bad idea at Gene's commercial right here. Because the reason why is he knows Beatty's on that hill east of Stones River, and he's got a guy named Captain Mendenhill who has a beautiful, beautiful situation set up with 45 guns on this field. the the cannon. Okay. I would say after East Cemetery Hill at Gettysburg on July 2nd, this is probably the most impressive artillery setup, probably of the Civil War in my yeah. opinion. So he has this whole field, kind of like Fredericksburg where a chicken couldn't cross the field. Yeah. He has the whole field set with his Pendulum hoss and his, Ordnance glasses, the whole deal on these guns. They know, right? This is for real. They're going to basically command this position with 45 guns. So um, Breckinridge got to do what you got to do. So he's ordered and he's going to go. And within an hour, they are going to get crushed. They're going to get their asses kicked by this artillery. He's going to last You know, like it's forty-five minutes to an hour, they're done. A thousand guys gone. You've got that situation where you got those those dudes from Kentucky, those Kentucky guys, they get slaughtered. The orphan brigade. Um, The orphan brigade. And Breckenridge is crying. He's he's saying, My poor orphans, my poor orphans, as he's watching these guys get slaughtered.
0: And he argued with Bragg about that and he said, No, they're they're gonna be up there. The union's already there and brags like, I know they're fucking not, so go in, you can't you know, he
1: brags like, I have given an order and expect it to be obeyed. I think because he'd already sent that telegram and he didn't yeah. have that email retrieve; you can delete it. So he's like, "Shit!" I said, "We want this fucking thing. We yeah, we gotta deliver. This. We have right? to deliver." So, so you know, because we still have a beer garden it's in Shiloh and Corinth, I can't. So he he basically knew he had to do it. We so had to be aggressive, but they just get their asses kicked. And that's pretty much you know the, the day kind of ends, and there's not much good. J- January third comes so a couple days later. Now, and Rosecrans is starting to receive reinforcements, right? Yeah. So he's getting more soldiers, he's getting supplies. So right off the bat, Wheeler, you know, has failed because his he had the one he had one job, didn't do it, right? At this point, most of Bragg's subordinates are saying, Dude, this is over. We gotta go. Let's get the hell out of here. Yeah. So finally that night around 10 o'clock, Bragg says, You know what? Roll him up. Let's go. So they head to Tullahoma, which is about forty miles south and and then it brings up that question with Bragg right so did he lose nerve right or did he listen to his generals and agree with them knowing his generals couldn't stand him was it a situation where he knew this was lost or you know what i'm saying or did he th- did he feel like they were setting him up that's what the politics comes in i think he felt like he was being set up
0: because he like after that happens the press completely is relentless on bragg rightly so i mean he's the reason this battle's been lost but he writes this letter to all his commanders basically saying can you back me up i'm being bashed in the press can you say that i that you agreed with the the retreat and all that he's expect so like Hardy gets this letter. Claiborne gets this letter. Polk actually doesn't get the letter because he's not there.
1: No, the stamp must have fallen off. Yeah, yeah. But Breckenridge,
0: um, get, Breckenridge gets the letter. The responses other than Breckenridge's are all pretty much the same.
1: Yeah, he, he's hoping to get that can I get an amen Yeah, Or no, Cheatham, I'm sorry.
0: Cheatham is the one Chetum, that, that Chetum, doesn't, yeah, yeah Cheatham, and Claiborne teases him about it for the rest of his life.
1: I think of that situation, you, the fact that the, the supply lines are starting to get reinforcements, and so he finally leaves, you look at the body report, on this one 24,000 total casualties 13 us 11 for the confederates it's it's a bloody bland we have mentioned before it is 36 percent total casualties for the entire combatants which is the highest in highest, history. highest yeah it's the highest you percentage know. when it comes to casualties and all that and it's so you're right so you're gonna see bragg head off to tullahoma which he'll be fighting a little battle down the road Okay, we'll be here in all here soon. This is where the politics starts, right? The post-battle stuff. So in the North, mm-hmm. it's hailed as a big, great victory. You know, it raised hopes in that part of the Middle West part of the country. A lot of the anti-Lincoln settlement was kind of sentiment was kind of settling a little bit now. Because okay, okay, fine. Basically, Rosecrans is getting national recognition at this point. He's a hero. Even Stanton, Stanton says he did a good job. Mm-hmm. Holy shit, right? Praise from Caesar. He gets he gets a he gets a yeah. little pub. But again, what happens at that point, and this is where Lincoln kind of misses a little bit, right? They realize the bloodying Oh, yeah, what we have, Rosecrans does, that they took, right? He and David Stanley, his cavalry guy, agree. We got to stay here rest these guys, okay? Because these guys just got their asses beat. We won, mm-hmm. but this was brutal. We're getting supplies. Let's just stay here, reform, catch our breath. It's wintertime, winter quarters, but again- so he doesn't pursue Bragg. And that's been the repeating thing over and over and over again with Lincoln, is you win a battle, but you don't pursue and don't finish. But this is where Lincoln misses the boat. He doesn't realize the condition of these guys at that moment, right? They're not automatons or robots that they can just go ahead and go. Takes a long time for Lincoln to learn that. Meanwhile, Polk and Bragg are pointing fingers at each other, blaming Mm. each other for the loss of the battle. They're they're bitching each other, all that.
0: Yep, I do have um, examples of some of the letters that were written about Oh, uh, good. Bragg writes this letter to all his, you know, he, Hardy gets it, Breckenridge gets it, Cheatham, Claiborne, basically like a lot of the high level level command guys get it. Bragg is saying like, just verify my interpretation of the events and agree with me. Cheatham is the only one that says, you know, yeah, sure. That's what you did. But Hardy says, like, I feel that frankness compels me to say that the general officers are unanimous in their opinion that a change in the command of this army is necessary. In this opinion, I concur. And Breckenridge basically says the same thing, like, they entertain the highest respect for your patriotism. It is their opinion that you do not possess the confidence of the army to an extent which will enable you to be useful as its commander in this opinion, I feel bound to concur. And Claiborne says, they unite with me in personal regard for yourself and high appreciation of your gallantry and patriotism and in conviction for your great capacity for organization. But at the same time, they see with regret. And it has also met my observation that you do not possess the confidence of the army in other respects in the degree necessary to ensure success. So you have Hardy, Breckenridge, and claiborne all saying fuck this you can't command you know and davis i'm sure is well aware of this Mm -hmm. so what you're looking at here with the army of tennessee is something that is going to rear its ugly head again at chickamauga chickamauga was not the first time a petition petition happened chickamauga is not the first time this drama happens Mm-hmm. But, like, if you think if these letters had been said of any commander in the Union Army, he would have been gone.
1: The Northern Army had a lot less – Lincoln had a lot you know, less tolerance than these guys did. Yeah, Bragg, Davis Bra- is like, dude, you can stay in. Don't worry. Well, oh, I think Davis liked – yes, man, to be honest, man. He, did, I think he yeah. liked. I think he liked the fact that Bragg didn't bitch. He didn't complain. He did his job. He was not he obviously had all kinds of issues. He was far from I mean, let's be we're not gonna sit here and tell you to convince anybody bragging, but cause he was just he was a train wreck, but 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 he had his moments, right? And he had his moments at Chickamauga, right? Mm-hmm. He really didn't do badly here. I I I think this battle would have been a lot different if Davis didn't take Stevenson from him. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big loss. <laughs> now you can blame for Breckenridge for holding his guys, but he didn't know yep. where the attack was coming from. But you take away, you know, seven eight thousand guys that, so that's you're the expert on math. What percentage is that? That's a lot of guys being taken away. A lot.
0: That's all I'm gonna say. Now,
1: in hindsight, yeah, Vicksburg fell anyway, so you so that they didn't matter. But again, that's a big loss. But look at some of it Now, look at some of the post-battle ramifications for the North too. Right now, the North holds that fertile ground of mid-Tennessee. now. Mm-hmm right? So now they can reach that. They got a supply line. They're going to hold Nashville, which is very, very important. Now mm-hmm. they don't have to worry about the Confederates being between them and Nashville. They have that. The rebel position at that point in the West really never recovered at that point. And you mentioned before, about the importance of this battle, this changed the landscape of the battle, the Western theater for the rest of the war.
0: It does. Yeah. And, exactly. and, you, know
1: and you know what? No one knows that few people know no. that unless you study this battle.
0: Exactly. And that's right? why this battle is so important to study because if this battle had been lost, the Confederates could have taken Nashville again and they could have went back into
1: Kentucky. That's it, right? We, extremely Right, what if game, which gets, 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 gets everybody meant. Let's pretend, let's just play the, go down this rabbit hole. The Confederates win, win Stone's River. They take Nashville again. They're going to control that rail hub. How is that going to affect Atlanta, Chattanooga? But then Atlanta, it's like dominoes. If you lose Nashville, you can't have Chattanooga. If you can't have Chattanooga, you can't have Atlanta. If you can't have Atlanta... You don't have that election, exactly, right? As the time goes on, this very, these armies sit; they don't do a hell of a lot between January and June in Italy. Bragg is going to rebuild the army of Tennessee. He's going to basically just be—he's going to be advised by Joseph Johnston to, to your point, just keep Bragg in command. Just keep him. Rosecrans is going to basically take this opportunity to train his guys, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, a la McClellan, right? Lincoln's aggravated, but he's like, you know what, fucking, I won. I got the Emancipation Proclamation coming out. I can finally have something to hang my hat on. Yeah. So he won, but I wish he'd get him, but I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to be cool. You know, later on in the year, you know, the next year, Rosecrans is going to be Bragg at Tullahoma. He's going to lose at Chickamauga. He's going to win at Chattanooga. There's no big battles, and that's pretty much it. As we eventually know, Rosecrans is going to basically be ignored. The Grant Halleck stands in triumvirate of doom is going to come get him and that's Definitely. going to be at Rosecrans. Yeah. Thomas will take over and stuff like that. But yep. I think at that point, most of Rosecrans achievements, and I know you hinted at this at the beginning Mayor, most of Rosecrans achievements are going to be basically overshadowed by Grant, they right? Are. To a point where they're going to be denied by Grant.
0: They are. And the one story about that is so not long before Lincoln was assassinated, he gave Grant a list of all the battles that the Union Army had won. And Grant took a look at it and he said, Stones River was not a victory. Right there. Like Grant, when you start, I mean, I love Grant. I respect him. He's talented. But there are certain things about him that he's got a fucking agenda. And there's a reason why he and Sherman are remembered and men like Rosecrans aren't. Rosecrans... He deserves a bit more of a voice in history. And this is what this episode researching this one has made me realize that Rosecrans had victories. And honestly, it's Rosecrans is one of the reasons that the March, the sea was able to happen when you think about it, because they were able to hold that Nashville Pike, right?
1: Well, Rosecrans he slid his own throat when he went to that reporter at the Cincinnati Inquirer. Exactly. About yeah, he, he, he did. He did. He screwed. But you know what, though? He was a Democrat. Grant was going to come get him anyway. And that, look, the reality is, is Grant is the big victor of the war. He but is. I, but I think a lot of that is by design. It
0: right? is. It absolutely is. It's kind of this... And you and know, I have called it the kind of the, the Union or Northern Lost Cause, where it's like. It's called, it's
1: called, it's, you know what it's called? It's actually has a name. It's called the Just Cause. Yep, that's right. It actually has a name.
0: Yep, I heard that today. And, um, yeah. So there was a podcast I was listening to about this. So this way you have to kind of take a deeper dive and look at some of these figures a little bit more because they're all factoring into this. The war was not simply won by Grant.
1: What did Grant say? I know you mentioned this at the beginning. What did Grant say to Lincoln? About Stones River. It was not a victory. He told Lincoln it was not a victory. And Lincoln, to Lincoln's defense... He disagreed with him. He said, no, it was, it was. But again, this kind of goes to show, we're not trying to bash on on Grant. No. But I think you got to understand there's a pattern with this, right? Yeah, like you look the, at
0: Lookout Mountain and how he was right, like, with, that's romance.
1: Right, Didn't right. happen. And these guys on the other side of the political equation and a lot of it plays into that. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, I think look, the overall picture, you know, as we mentioned before with Stones River is it was really the linchpin. It was the limp node to the West, right? And it's important people need to study this battle because if there was no Stones River, more important, the Confederates had one Stones River, and they could have, they were that was eh, it was close. If they right? were
0: that close. This is like it. it was, right. To me, it was a lot like Meade at Fredericksburg when he had broken Jackson's mm-hmm. lines, and it was like if Meade had just had that backup, mm-hmm. Fredericksburg might have went way different.
1: Clayburn again. He's a, he's a superstar of this, but again, the Rebs lacked that one division because Carter Stevens got sent to Vicksburg. Who knows, right? Like the what if game. This is a real what if though. This isn't is. one of those 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 stupid what if Stonewall wasn't Gettysburg bullshit. Man this is this is a real what if the, this it, is one that makes you
0: realize how everything falls into place because you think about it if the union loses stones river all those troops that are up the mississippi at vicksburg or what, however geography works maybe they were down i don't know It's was
1: funny watching your point though because whatever
0: <laughs> anyway <laughs> what if they had lost and they had to fight at nashville to try and win Nashville back what troops might have got pulled from the Vicksburg campaign from the union to do that it's this huge thing that had they lost this it could have been things could have been a lot different the war could have been a a lot different in the west and I think that's why this is a really important battle to study Mm -hmm. you know for that reason but also to look at it as Rosecrans as a commander and see that he did have talent he is not just who he was at Chickamauga he's actually quite a talented commander he's in in a way, he's like the McClellan of the West. Yeah, how he's loved by his men. He's a Democrat. He's focused he on
1: training, preparation. Yep. He doesn't want to attack if necessary. But, you know, although he gets the order from Lincoln, yeah, it's, he sits on it for a little bit. But once he gets yep. going, he goes. He wins that battle. He goes on to, to win Tallahoma. I think the tread was running off his mental tires, Mary. I think by the time he got to Chickamauga, I think I think he just about had it. There's always so much humanity. People, how much stuff the human brain but can the other
0: th- The other thing, too, that factors into Chickamauga is that when he was sitting there watching that breakthrough happen with Longstreet, he was going off no
1: sleep for three days. yeah. These like, are things that the, that the books don't tell you. Put yourself in that situation, right? All that pressure. But you know what? At the end of the day, that, that's how they use these generals. You wear them out, you yeah. use them, you discard them, go on to the next guy. And that's just the way it was. <laughs> at the end of the day, it all worked out. But I think anybody who really wants to get into a really good study about not just a what-if, but a tactical attack, just go into Stone's River. Because it's a great study, and it's, it's one that so not a lot
0: interesting of study, and It's so know? to me, it has become up there with a lot of the battles that are really studied. It's one that's worth studying. And the one thing, to, uh, the one thing that I just thought of now is, you know, the situation we're, we're in where we can't do our usual thing on New Year's Eve, be with who we wanna be, go out to parties, whatever. Not that I'm <laughs> the type of person to do that anymore on New Year's Eve. Keep in mind that that night at Stones River, there are men sleeping on the open ground without their tents. Like Claiborne's men had left all their stuff back at their original camp. They sleep that night on the cold ground no tents, no blankets, and they can't have fires. And they also don't have food.
1: Ben Cheetah may drink all the alcohol, so that was the other yep. problem. You know. <laughs> so they had nothing, you know. So it so ruined everything. But anyway, I, th- I think it's a good study. I think it's a good – I think as we move on to the next thing, so we can talk about some coming attractions, Mary, as we, we can. move on from the story. So we will move on to our next live, which is in 2021. So, Mary, yep. I will see you next year. Mary. You will. Next year. So we will talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about Stones River anybody else who wants to talk about Mm it again the new website is up yep silverbreakfastclub.com so check it out you can subscribe to it we'll send you all kinds of fun newsletters and all kinds of other things we'll do yep I'm working Um, on a
0: newsletter hopefully to go out in early January that's one thing we want to be doing Um, we also have our book club that we've chosen the books so if you want to know what books are involved in that you can check our Twitter feed to find that out but probably quicker just to visit our website and if you're interested in joining our book club just send us an email. Civil War Breakfast Club at gmail.com. Our first book is going to be Black Iron Mercy, and we will be meeting on via Zoom at the end of March to discuss that. But for those that can't meet via Zoom or can't make that meeting, we are going to um, be talking about something soon that will have a way for you to be able to interact and talk about that book with us. So, so nobody, is- we don't want anybody to be excluded from this book club. However, you can make it. If it's not via Zoom, then we're going to come up with some other ways for you to be able to talk about it.
1: Yeah. And we've had some, a lot of people sign off for this. I think it's going to be a good one. So read the book. It's a great book by Eric Schleinlein. I think Shine I Le- his last name. Yeah. I I, probably, I feel bad for pronouncing his last name, but I just can't. It's like you with Massachusetts. I just can't say it. I, I Massachusetts? Ooh, not bad, not bad. But I, I think it's, it'd be a lot of fun. So, so Mary, I think this was a, a great time. A great it was, discussion is yep. always talked about. always fun to talk about Claiborne and all your favorite heroes. Some, <laughs> you even, you, and somehow you even got Howard involved, which I don't know I how did. That he did that, but you got him involved. So anyway, so next discussion will be next week. And we are talking about, I think we're doing,
0: we're either doing <laughs> the or Chickasaw Bluffs, we're either in the Eastern or the
1: Western <laughs> theater. I didn't mean to catch you off guard. I just assumed no, I guess. since you actually made the coming attractions list, I figured you probably know. I know, know
0: and I'm like, my brain is fried
1: for something. Too much give you too much credit for that, you know. But we'll—I promise you, oh, stop. I promise we'll be doing another one next week. So, yeah. uh, whatever it's going to be. So, let's check out the coming attractions too. We'll all find out together. No, so, what we're,
0: we're, we're recording so, next
1: week. So, good stuff. So, Mary, again, the pleasure. I hope you had a great Christmas. Hope you had a great couple of days, a couple of time off, everybody. Hope you had a I safe there, time. Too. So. By the time this drops, it'll be a new year. I know everyone's so sad to see 2020 finally go. Yeah. We are on the 2021 as um, a football coach in my area likes to say from a team that I will not mention right now because I'm not happy, but we will talk about some new things <laughs> going into 2021. So any final words from you, <laughs> dear want- <laughs> queen of Kin <laughs> The one thing I
0: wanted to say is that when Bragg woke up on New Year's Day, 1863, and saw that blue line of union men, he totally got 2020 ed <laughs>
1: Ooh! Wow! <laughs> and then he got savannas because
0: he said that he's like it's a happy new year indeed in to right. davis and he wakes right. up in the morning and he's like oh fuck.
1: Fuck. Ah, well he got 2020
0: poor,
1: poor braxy but anyway, so so we will uh we will catch up with you all thanks for watching this hope you enjoyed it and we appreciate it, as always all the support so forward to talking to you soon and i uh, have a great new year And we'll, we'll see you at the live on saturday mary yeah. yep. see you all later Peace out. Bye.